Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Blockware Intelligence Podcast. Hope you're all doing well. Before we get into the show, let me tell you a little bit about our sponsor, FTX US. FTX US, one of the largest crypto companies in the United States, is the safest, most regulated way to buy and sell Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other digital assets. You might have heard of FTX from their partnerships with Tom Brady, Steph Curry, or the recent Super Bowl commercial with Larry David. With FTX, you can trade crypto with up to 85% lower fees than top competitors. There are no fixed minimum fees, no ACH transaction fees, and no withdrawal fees. You can also use the FTX app to buy your favorite NFTs with no gas fees, supporting both Ethereum and Solana blockchains. Download the FTX app today in minutes by going to ftx.blockwareintelligence.com to earn free crypto on every trade over $10. Again, that's ftx.blockwareintelligence.com to get started today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Blockware Intelligence Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, someone I've been looking forward to have on for a long time, guy who doesn't really need any introduction at this point, uh, Jack Mallers. Jack, thanks so much for taking the time in and uh, really stoked to have you on. Well, the thrill. What's up, brother? I am uh, stoked. Congrats on all your success, man. I am thanks, a fan man. of yours. And uh, yeah, let's do this. Let's do this. I'm happy to be here. Feeling is very much mutual. Um, I think we could first start with, you know, you had a huge speech at the Bitcoin conference. I mean, dude, I was, I was trying to push up to the front and it was like literally like wall to wall just to see if people, I think it was the most packed, um, you know, the speech of, of the entire conference. So just to recap for maybe anybody who, you know, wasn't there or wasn't able to watch, um, you know, what were, what were the main announcements that you, you know, gave at, at the Bitcoin conference and the more important question, you know, what is the significance of these announcements, A, for your company and the network overall? Yeah, uh, the announcements were uh, Company Strike, uh, which I founded. We partnered with uh, Shopify officially, uh, NCR and Blackhawk. Um, Shopify, one of the largest uh, online marketplaces for businesses to accept payments. Uh, Blackhawk is one of the largest, if not the largest alternative payment processor, which we can get into is super fascinating. Uh, and then NCR is the biggest point of sale system in the world. Uh, and the significance of the announcement uh, is massive. Um, but the whole concept is adding uh, Bitcoin and the Lightning Network interoperability uh, to retail, to making buying things on the internet, buying things in person. Uh, and so I don't know where you want to go with that, this, that, and the other, um, but it was huge. And I don't know, in reference to the network, or you mean like the lightning now, I think, yeah. I, like, I think this is such a big deal for obviously for Bitcoin. I think it's a very big deal for, uh, privacy. I think it's a very big deal for the industry, the payments industry exclusive or irrespective to Bitcoin. I think it's a very big deal to the Department of Justice. I think it's a very big deal to Senator Warren. I think is like one of the bigger deals. And I try, tried to allude to it in giving kind of a historic time frame of uh, nothing like this has really happened in 50 to 60 years. Uh, yeah. And again, and also like, to be clear, little to do with strike, not that like we developed something that took 60 years is more to do with Bitcoin. And we're just helping uh, enable acquirers, merchants, and the general commerce landscape to use Bitcoin. So we're playing a very small role, but it is Bitcoin that's bringing up about like an extreme amount of innovation and in many, 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 many verticals. This is not just like a Bitcoin thing. Sure. Yeah, most definitely. I think, um, you know, I, I think the gravity of the announcement wasn't like fully appreciated by some people, including myself at first, because to be honest, I wasn't familiar with who Blackhawk and NCR are. So I guess one one question for you would just be, who are these entities and like, why are they so important? I mean, um, you know, I think some people, to be honest, like there were some like rumors on Twitter of like an Apple Pay integration, which I'm sure <laughs> that'll come eventually. Right. But um you know, I, I think some people weren't familiar with these names. So you mm -hmm. mind just like explaining to the audience, like who are these entities and why are they so important in the payment system? Yeah, actually the Apple thing was hilarious, man. And uh, I haven't told that story yet, but like, <laughs> so Stripe and, I'll, and then I'll, obviously I'll get to the announcement stuff, but I think it's, it's a hilarious story um, or not a hilarious story. The hilarious part is there's no story. 
um, strikes been growing a lot. And, um, you know, years ago I considered myself just this kid that was hacking in my dad's basement and, uh, just trying to do cool shit. And, uh, now, uh, I have a business and employees and, uh, just different, different responsibilities and growing into, you know, a more mature version of myself. I'm on my own life journey and then how my company and my work can interface with the rest of the world. And so I was interfacing with these really cool mentors of mine. I've been very fortunate in meeting like really awesome people. And they were bringing about Steve jobs to me. Like they were like, sometimes when you go on these rants, you remind us of Steve jobs and you should look into Steve jobs. And so I did. Um, hilariously, I was in LA for Super Bowl week for some meetings, and this is a true story. One of my favorite rappers. I know you're like close enough to my age. You know Future, the rapper. Yeah, of course, free he's bang. in my top three. He's my yeah, top yeah. Three. I mean, Future's goaded to me. So free band. He's about to drop a new album too. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, so all right. So we're speaking the same language. Uh, maybe some of the boomers that I funded during my presentation <laughs> wouldn't know who Future was, but I'm in uh, LA for the Super Bowl week, and I'm becoming this like I'm binging on Steve Jobs. I'm hearing like. People I look up to, CEOs of other big public Fortune 500 companies are, you know, really excited to try and mature me into a CEO, give me pros and cons, how to deal with some of this stuff. And uh, I'm watching his videos and I'm in the store and I'm looking at this Apple hat and it's just like a dope. I'm in LA. I'm like supposed to go shopping. So I'm with my buddies and I pick up this Apple hat and in the store comes Future, like one of my favorite rappers. And this is a true story. And he's shooting the shit with me. And he has no idea who I am. I, of course, know who he is. And uh, I ask him, like, are you into Bitcoin? And he's like, I am into Bitcoin. I play dice for Bitcoin. And uh, he invited me to play dice with him. And uh, then I end up asking him, I was like, yo, should I get this hat? And it was this Apple hat. And he was like, yeah, dude, that's a dope hat. So I buy that hat. And I wear it like every day. It's like my favorite hat. It's a crazy story. My favorite rapper. Turns out he's into Bitcoin. I get like his mafia, whatever the fuck. Like there are like 20 of them. They're all like, they smelled like they just smoked weed. Like of course. literally it smelled like someone put like a nug of weed like in my nostril. And so one of them got my phone number. I'm texting. We're going to play dice for Bitcoin later. And uh, I got this hat and I'm wearing this hat. So I go take a picture outside Chase, flipping the Chase ATM off, and I'm just wearing the hat. It had nothing to do with anything, okay? And so that was the context of why I had the hat on. It was just a really cool hat, and I got it next to my favorite rapper. My favorite rapper told me to buy the hat, so I was wearing the hat. Okay, then the whole fascination over Steve Jobs, the Think Different commercial really resonated with me. I like love it, and the genius that Steve had and the story behind the Think Different commercial was so powerful. And so I just tweeted it because I find it inspirational. I had no idea that the internet had taken my hat, like just a random hat that I had got and then taken it as a rumor. Uh, and so then I wake up and a lot of my team is like, the, the world thinks we're partnering with Apple. And I was like, really? Why? Because I was wearing a hat? Like, you guys got to be fucking kidding. You got to be kidding. Like, I literally thought it was a joke. And then once I realized that it wasn't actually anyone of substance, it was like a bunch of like altcoin podcasts and it was a fake Dennis Porter account where they flipped the D and the P. Dennis so the Dorder. account is penis daughter or whatever. <laughs> and so I'm like, all right, so the world thinks I'm partnering with Apple because a guy named penis daughter, like no one has to be taking this seriously. And I thought I was just trolling altcoiners. So I took a picture with a jug of milk and tweeted a milk commercial and everyone was like that's it confirmed apple and i was like at that point i was like should i tweet out like an apology for wearing a hat and and everyone was like no just drop it like I, we don't know how we got into this position penis daughter is out here tricking everybody and like altcoin podcasts are pumping apple and that is the true behind the scenes of what happened it's a dope hat I have not worn it since. It's just sitting in my closet. I'm like scared to death to wear like now nah, I'm just unbranded hats. Like you guys can't get a rumor out of me with this hat. And uh, that is what happened. So anyway, to clear the clear the scene, clear the rumor. Um, it was not intentional. I had no idea. And I thought the milk thing would have been like a funny way to be like, nah, I'm not like alluding to an Apple partnership. You were just trolling with the milk stuff. But then people I yeah. was trolling, dude. I was just trolling like. Because Steve Jobs in his 
he, ta- he talked about the got milk commercial and i thought it'd be hilarious if i took a picture with like two percent calcium fucking milk hey be- before you move on i want to ask you about future did did you explain to him like who you are and what strike is or you didn't get into any of that no 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 we were just both in line at this uh high-end retail store in la for super bowl week and uh he's like all like out. the streetwear clothes like that's like your thing right yeah, I mean, I, I got, like, a certain swag I grew up wearing. I mean, some people like my hoodies. Some people think I'm childish or whatever. But, no, I mean, like, I like what I like. And uh, I was – yeah, he was checking out in front of me. And uh, he turned, and uh, I asked, like, should I cop this hat? And we ended up getting into Bitcoin. He plays – like, yeah, him and Drake and all these guys play, like, dice and stuff uh, for Bitcoin. Huh. And so, uh, anyway, that's the story. Um, back to probably why people are listening to this podcast in the first place. Uh, so, yeah. So the announcement I think is way bigger than partnership with Apple for payments. You know, if Apple were to add, you know, a trillion dollars worth of Bitcoin to their balance sheet, I think that would double the market cap of the asset and that would be a big announcement. But let me explain, uh, When I walk into a Starbucks today, I have four options to pay. People don't appreciate that. Um, People think like, oh, no, look at all these apps. And there's Cash App and Venmo and Chime and Revolut and all these different ways. It's like, no, think of it this way. The four options are American Express, Visa, MasterCard, Discover. That's it. And whether you're using Apple Pay or Cash App or Chime, like those are interfaces and layers on top of those four options. So when you use Apple Pay, Apple Pay has not figured out a way to connect to the merchant without one of those four options. So my Apple card is a MasterCard product. My cash card is a Visa product, right? Like I Strike has an American Express card. Um, and so the innovation and the, the crazy thing about the announcement is we're adding a fifth option, which hasn't happened in like 50 years. (laughs) And that is an insane concept to think about. So now when you walk into like a Wendy's, I'm checking the calendar soon, it's going to be American Express, Visa, MasterCard, Discover, Bitcoin's Lightning Network. Wow. That's insane. That's insane. And that is the level of disruption and innovation and progress that is like that big of a deal. Apple hasn't even been able to do that, right? Apple doesn't actually have a relationship with the merchant. All they're doing is they're saying, everyone has one of these and we can interface one of these with the card networks. And that's the innovation. They brought NFC to swiping a card. So instead of carrying a physical card, you can have the digital card in the Apple wallet. But that they, they're like the four options that my grandfather was using in his coffee shop are the same ones that I'm using today. And partnering with Apple doesn't actually make any progress towards us giving the world a better payment option as a, as a payment network. And that's the crazy thing. And so Blackhawk and NCR, I'll get into to that right now. Um, when I founded the business of Strike, the thesis was if Bitcoin was the world's monetary network, was the world's payment network. It's going to dematerialize all the other payment networks that we have, card networks, uh, ACH networks, uh, global networks like SWIFT, uh, global networks like Western Union will be dematerialized onto this one thing. And if you think of it like that, well, then like you're inferring value transfer. You're inferring that there's a disruptive, innovative thing that's superior and there's going to be value transfer, which implies there's going to be value capture. So as a business founder, I had to have a thesis on where the value transfer was going and where the opportunities were to capture the value. And I've talked a lot. So I think of like, now you have this Bitcoin lightning network thing that's sitting in the middle. There are no intermediaries. There are no like card networks, like a big beached whale sitting in the middle of everything, soaking up interchange fees and stuff, right? Like if everything, if settlement is brokered by an open payments network, uh, then where's the value go? It goes to the edges of it. 
right? There's no room in the middle to sit as an intermediary. It goes to the edges. And so on the consumer side, I've always said the best experience, the best brand is going to win because soon when you walk into a Starbucks, you're not going to have these four options. You're going to have the fifth option enables anyone to check you out. So instead of like 12 apps you can use to check out at Starbucks, you'll have 12,000 apps in a year or two to check out at Starbucks. And so who's going to be the bigger winners of those 12,000 apps from a very high level to be one the best experience, the best brand, right? The best engineers, the best customer support, the one your favorite rapper uses, right? Like the best experience, the best brand, the one with the least amount of bugs, the one with the coolest rewards. Now, the really interesting thing for this podcast to talk about is where's it going to go on the merchant side, on the acquiring side? Where's the value capture opportunity for those receiving the payments? And my thesis was always the relationship with the merchant now has the opportunity to capture the value is that now the messaging layer is the settlement layer, which we can get into, but the, the merchant can settle the payment themselves. Because when I say, I want to check out at Starbucks and I'm telling Starbucks, Hey, I want to pay you money in that message is actually like a physical bear instrument that they don't have to call visa. They don't have to call bank of America and broker the settlement. They can settle themselves. And so my thesis was we should build an API and we should go empower those that have the relationship with the merchant. And that's what Blackhawk and NCR and Shopify are, are they have direct relationships with the merchants. Okay. So Blackhawk is super fascinating. Nobody knows who Blackhawk is. Blackhawk is a crazy story, which like really tells the power of what's happening. Blackhawk was founded like 20 years ago and it's a gift card company. Their thesis was, uh, Merchants, a tar- let's say Target, for example, should not need to use Visa and pay Visa a fee to accept a gift card payment from someone that already put $20 on a Target gift card to spend at Target, right? Uh, that the collateral that lives on the Target gift card uh, is already it, like it's already pledged to spend at Target. We don't need to call issuing banks and acquiring banks and card networks to get that money. So we should build the Blackhawk network, which connects the merchant directly to the gift card. And we avoid the card processors and the banks and someone checking out at Target with a Target gift card. And that was called the Blackhawk network. And so they built an outside network that uh, facilitated payments that was lived outside of banks and, and Visa. Okay. And what they ended up doing, they built a relationship with 40,000 merchants. So they got Target, they got Starbucks, they got Walmart, right? And now they also power the machines where you do like your self-checkout, where you go to CVS and you get your Cheetos and your fucking Coke, and then you go like uh, self-check yourself out. Like that's them as well. And so I called them and I said, listen, you guys built a business on this concept that there are payments outside of the card networks and stuff. Like, and it was just gift cards, but you can actually now settle payments for all the merchant partners that you have over this open payment network, right? And so, in the same way that you are settling payments without Visa and stuff, like you can do this now with Bitcoin and Lightning. And so, by plugging in with them, and it's the same with that. Actually, sorry, I'm going on such a rant. I'm going to pause. Do you have any questions for me? Because there's something I really want to explain. No, um, I mean, I do have a question, but I'm going to wait for you to explain because it's kind of, it's, it's like a kind of an extension of this. I feel like we'll get into a whole nother conversation. So I'll hold, yeah. I'll hold off. No, okay. Wait, so it's going to be a rant and I apologize to the audience. Just bear with me for a second. Let's, well, let's walk through checking out at Chipotle today or Target or Starbucks. It's all the same story. Let's say Chipotle banks at Bank of America. And let's say I bank at Chase and I have a Visa card. And this is a lot of my presentation. So for those that haven't seen it, you can go watch on YouTube. I walk into Chipotle. I swipe the card and that's effectively me asking Chipotle, Hey, can I pay you for the burrito? Now what happens is Chipotle's point of sale, say it's Blackhawk, say it's NCR, say it's toast, say it's Clover, any of these things, Chipotle's point of sale is going to send to bank of America where Chipotle banks and says, we have someone that's asking to pay us. We've received a message of someone that wants to pay. And they send that to bank of America. Bank of America is going to read the first digit of the card and realize it's a Visa card. And then they're going to ask Visa, they're going to say, hey, one of our customers, as in Chipotle, is being asked to being paid. And supposedly, one of your partners, Visa, 
issued the card to this consumer? Can you figure out which bank issued the card and ask if it, they're good to pay? And so then Visa realizes I bank with Chase and Chase issued me the Visa card and bank and Visa asked Chase, Hey, is Jack good? Is he good to pay? Right. And Chase says, yeah, Jack's good. And Chase tells Visa, Jack's good. Visa tells Bank of America, Jack's good. Bank of America tells the point of sale system, Jack's good. Then out comes the receipt and I eat my burrito. Now let's call that the messaging layer. Well, that now, can you fit digitally move a dollar? Can you digitally move a piece of paper? Can you digitally move a rock? Can I digitally move um, an art piece, a collectible, a Vincent Van Gogh painting? No. So all payments before Bitcoin were promises of future settlement, were debt promises, right? And so that payment to me is completed, to Chipotle is completed, is that the receipt came out the fucking machine, I'm eating the burrito, but no money actually moved. There was just a messaging layer of the bank, the consumer banks with, the bank, the acquirer, of bank of Chipotle, and the card network in between gave it the thumbs up and said, we're going we're gonna to settle this later, okay? And then the actual settlement later takes two to 15 days, and that's where Chipotle ends up getting, if, of my $10 burrito, they only get 97% of it. And those guys take the 3% to actually settle the physical value, okay? And then if you extend that, and so we have the messaging layer and the settlement layer. The settlement layer is behind the scenes. It's different. That's when Chipotle gets their money 30 days later. They get a lot less of it. Those guys take 3% of it. And that is insane. It's insane. But then to think that like all payments are promises of future settlement. They are in like in principle, they are all debt. If you're moving dollars digitally, no matter what, there is a sense of debt. There's a sense of credit worthiness. You cannot achieve finality digitally with the dollar in real time. Okay. And so Chipotle has to, every time they accept money, that isn't cash, they have to infer a sense of debt and credit to the banks and wait for their money to settle and pay whatever they're like, you know, being lobbied to pay, right? Okay, so you have the messaging layer and the settlement layer. Take Western Union, it's the same thing. When I wanna move money to El Salvador and I tell Western Union, the dollars aren't actually moving. There's a messaging layer where I ask Western Union, can I move that money? And then the actual settlement layer is their ability to talk with corresponding banks, different MSOs, and then actually credit the money in outside. But the, the, the physical dollars aren't actually moving. So there's a messaging layer and a settlement layer. So messaging layer, settlement layer. And the, the insane thing about Bitcoin is it's the first digital physical instrument ever. And so now in the messaging layer, you can actually embed money and settle at the same time, <laughs> right? And so now when I tell Chipotle, hey, I'd like to buy your burrito in that message, which is traditionally a card swipe or an Apple Pay, I wave my phone at the machine and I double click the side and it face IDs me, whatever the message is, like I'd like to pay you, inside of that message, I can actually embed a physical digital instrument called Bitcoin that can settle at the same time, okay? And, and so then when you realize that, that inside the message that I'm sending to Chipotle is also now the money because we have a money that's digital, then you realize Chipotle never actually calls Bank of America to who then calls Visa, who then calls Chase. And there is no settlement later. The settlement happened when I sent the message. And so then when you realize that, you realize who do you want to empower to receive these types of messages where the messaging layer is the settlement layer? They're one and the same. You want to empower the point of sale systems. NCR's market cap will is $5 billion. Visa's market cap is $550 billion. But when using the fifth payment option, so when using American Express, Visa, MasterCard, Discover, NCR has to call the bank, the bank calls the card, the card calls the who issued it. When it's the fifth option, where they're using the messaging layer that is the settlement layer, NCR doesn't call anybody. NCR settles for Wendy's. And that's the like, whoa. And that's where the value is. And so then you immediately go find everyone that has the relationship with the merchant. 
And so for Blackhawk, they had for Blackhawk, when I load a target gift card, okay, we do the traditional handshake where I say, here's my card information. I'd like to buy a target gift card for my mom. And Target's going to be like, okay, well, we bank with City. So we're going to call City. City's going to realize you have Visa card. Visa's going to realize Chase issued it to you. Cool, cool, bing, bang, boom. I get the Target gift card. But then Blackhawk realized we already did the bank card network handshake to get the Target gift card. So we should build a network so that when you spend the Target gift card, we don't have to do the handshake again. So you're not getting double taxed on the 3%. And so Blackhawk built a relationship with these 40,000 merchants so that they could settle directly. And as, but as long as you have the relationship with the merchant, you can not only can you settle gift cards, but now you can also settle the fifth option, the Bitcoin Lightning Network payment network. And so now if I just turn on Lightning for these guys, then target at all these merchants. And when you self-check out, now have the fifth option. If I go to NCR, they have the fifth option. And what's in it for them? What's not in it for them? Like, it doesn't make any sense that NCR is worth $5 billion and Card networks and banks are worth $500 billion because they're not involved in the money flow anymore. And it's not a bad or good thing. I'm not talking shit about card networks. I'm not talking shit about banks. I'm just saying like, when you have this disruptive superior payments network, it was my thesis when founding the company, the value is going to go to the edges. And so it's like, I think that everyone will compete on the edges. Like Chase should build like an amazing Bitcoin lightning app and maybe people will use it instead of cash app and strike. Right. But like the thesis is whoever has the relationship with the merchant and whoever has the relationship with the consumer gets to interface with the open payment standard. And so the announcements were so massive is because all of the people with the merchant networks are turning on a fifth option for the first time in 55 years. And that's the whole like, whoa, yeah. payments are being settled without a card network and without a bank. And then that gets you like, whoa, what is happening? What is this Bitcoin thing? Because like the world is changing and we can get into like human rights and the privacy aspects of it, but yeah, of course. I'll stop. No, no, no. So, I mean, that actually made me realize the gravity of it way more than I guess I even realized while you were talking up on stage. So like in my mind, the way I've conceptualized like the future existence of Bitcoin is I know these are by no means like apples to apples comparisons, but the closest thing in my mind to like the current fiat system would be like, Fedwire and you have like, you know, like Visa or these other payment networks, right? And like the transactions get batched together and then finalized um, on the settlement, you know, layer at Fedwire. So the way I had kind of seen it was that like the Bitcoin, you know, the Bitcoin that the settlement network is analogous to Fedwire and Lightning was analogous to Visa. But what you're saying is that it's actually both in one. Yeah. I actually think I've heard a lot of people try and draw that analogy. I think it's a little defeatist. It, it ends up distracting and muddling the innovation. The way I think about Bitcoin's base layer is as I was referencing, it is definitely important that we have a physical instrument that is digital, right? The whole reason we could do this, NCR could check out Wendy's by themselves without having to call banks and card networks is because there's no concept of debt or credit in the payment because you have money that can actually move digitally. An internet request is the settlement. There is no complex like negotiations of settlement in two to 15 days and what's your credit score. All Wendy's cares about is, hey, you, you're asking to pay me for a, a cheeseburger is there the money in the message? Is there Bitcoin in the message? Is this a cryptographic payment? Because if not, I don't care your credit score. I don't care where you live. I don't care your gender. Like either the money's in it or I can't give you the burger. And it's that simple. But the only way, Will, that we could have that is if the money is digital. And if the money is digital, it has to live outside of a central authority. It cannot live with a government. If, it if it's this global thing that kind of lives in the clouds is what I tried to describe in my presentation. It's almost like within the heavens, this thing. Then the base layer is about enabling a digital money. That's it. It's not about like, well, the base layer is for the slow stuff and lightning's for the fast stuff. No, no, no. The base layer is not about moving it's the Michael Saylor line. The base layer is not about moving a million dollars from here to Japan or moving $10 from me to Chipotle. The base layer is about being able to move a million dollars from here to the year 2140. The base layer is about building an asset that has sufficient distribution 
uh, fair distribution, uh, known monetary policy, fixed supply, sufficiently decentralized within a distributed network, extremely good security, and is resilient, censorship resi resilience and resilient enough to where anyone can join the network. Anyone can, like, so, so for people that are like, oh, this altcoin is going to make a better version of the Lightning Network. No, they're not because there is no other sound, secure, deathly trustworthy digital bear instrument that I can embed in the message to Chipotle. So the base layer it's is not about of it. It's the bedrock of it. And, and, and it's, the, it's the only way that we could disrupt payments is if the digital bear instrument exists and it's going to exist forever. And we know that it's going to exist forever. So it's like, oh no, that Bitcoin's too slow. No, you're thinking about it wrong. Bitcoin is going to exist forever. And there's going to be demand for it forever because it's scarce, because the monetary policy is known, because it's global, because no one can control it. And that allows us to then build a payments network on top of it. So to think that the base layer is like the slower version and this one's the, no, no, no. The base layer allows the physical digital instrument to be alive forever. And so like Ethereum, all, all these other altcoins, like Dogecoin, like they, their base layers are not that. <laughs> it's not like an infinite bedrock, like what Sailor says, like the uh, cyberspace granite that you can build cities on top of. And that's the way to think about the base layers, not moving money from here to Japan or here to Chipotle, but moving a million dollars from now to a hundred years from now. Sure. And then the lightning network just makes the ability to move the physical digital instrument fast and at no cost. And then once you have that, then I can send a message to Wendy's and embed the digital money into it. And it's open for anyone to build on top of. And so like the thesis behind Strike, like why are we auto settling into dollars is because if I wanted to enable these people to do that, like these people, Whole Foods, Wendy's, Starbucks, is it has to be compliant. It has to be regulated. The accounting practices, like you don't want to have to tell all your shareholders we're having like a difference in our balance sheet in our accounting, have to wait for regulatory bodies to figure out how to deal with settling bolts 11 invoices with public companies. No, just give them the visa experience, just cheaper, better, faster. Give them the dollars instantly. There's no concept of interchange. Anywhere between cash app users to tour users can pay you. And then if you want to use the dollars and buy Bitcoin and add it to your corporate balance sheet, and like a lot of these people are Bitcoiners and they'll get around to it, but that's it. But that's like the whole... I don't know, like it's not Fedwire and Visa. It's like enabling a digital bear instrument to exist so that payments are not debt promises, so that payments are not promises of future settlement, so that when I tell Chipotle I want to pay, I can embed the digital money inside of that message to them. And then whoever's on the receiving end of that, like NCR, can take the digital money, convert it to dollars, and hand it to Chipotle. And they never have to call the banks and the card networks and have this sophisticated like future settlement and debt. And that's when you get like, like uh, someone in Nigeria can't use certain aspects of my financial system because Chase hasn't deemed them credit worthy enough. And maybe it's not about their actual credit worthiness. Maybe Chase just doesn't have the bandwidth to figure out everyone's credit worthiness in Nigeria. But now that like Chipotle doesn't give a fuck. Like when you want to pay me, if the Bitcoin's in there, I'll give you the burrito. If it's not, I don't fucking care. Like, it's not about this complex society of debt. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I think like at the end, you also kind of made this indirect point of very similar to like the adoption of the asset class, the payment network, like the game theory of adoption is, is such that the people who need it most adopt it first. And I think that that's one of the most like beautiful things about Bitcoin adoption. Um, Jack, I want to ask you this. So like, do you know the notional value that the Lightning Network settles every day? I know it's like very difficult, but like, you know, from like approximation, because like I look at, for example, like Lightning Network capacity or channels. Uh, obviously, this is just the, the public, not not private. But, um, you know, like the, the question I'm asking off of this is, A, do you know what that notional value is? But what do you think is holding back more liquidity from coming into Lightning Network? Because obviously that's one of the biggest things that's holding back very large transactions from being able to, to come to the Lightning Network. So like, what do you think some of the catalysts are or things that need to be, that need to occur for that liquidity to grow? Or do you think that's just like naturally occurs as adoption grows? 
Um, I think it's like just much more logical than people think. But the first point that you kind of alluded to is very important. Trying to like look at public data on lightning is just very defeatist. Like the network only exists as your point of view, your being a node. So like my point of view of lightning could be totally different than your node's point of view of lightning, which infers and implies that there is no like God's gifted statistic of the current state of lightning. And so for that reason, I don't find it very like attractive. And then also like Cash App just enabled 70 million Americans to be able to use it. I don't know how many nodes they have, but I know it's not 70 million. And so I actually don't know how valuable like node count is. Obviously, I think it's extremely important and valuable that there's non-custodial, custodial, privacy, not privacy is that anyone could build any experience on top of it. And there's no right or wrong. There's just, you know, in the eye of the beholder, so to speak. Um, so a lot of like the network metrics, I don't really care for. I think what's going to drive adoption, people wanting to use it. Like, you know, it's going to be nuts, bro. In like a month when you walk into Wendy's and there's 10% cash back when you use Strike or Cash App at Wendy's instead of your MasterCard. That's going to be insane. That's the, that's the day 100 million people use Lightning is when you walk into Burger King and you get a free Coke because you're using a Lightning wallet. Yeah, I think one of the other cool things too is also like historically using Bitcoin has been kind of this novel thing, whereas now... You know, when, when we get to like this threshold of like, you know, um, you know, kind of crossing the chasm, if you will, of adoption, like where it needs to be at is to the point where, you know, normies don't even know that they're using Bitcoin. And I think that's that's where this is now kind of evolving to and that, you know, people aren't going to be thinking actively that, you know, oh, I'm, I'm using Bitcoin. I'm just, you know, I'm just making a transaction. Right. It's, it's no longer this like novel thing. And it's just integrated into kind of like people's everyday lives. Yeah. So. The, so Strike allows you to make lightning payments with your dollars and receive lightning payments as dollars. And the reason that was in the very first version is because I wanted to make a particular stance on like someone that uses Strike does not imply their bullishness or bearishness or anything about Bitcoin as a portfolio asset. And that's think about that for a second, because traditionally it is like if you're spending Bitcoin, you're bearish. If you're not, you're bullish against whatever you're exchanging it with, or you're diehard libertarian, right? Or you're like this uh, diehard privacy advocate, whatever it is. I wanted to build a product for the first time, or maybe it wasn't the first time. I mean, people get really upset when like, I don't know what, where I rank in the order of the product, but I wanted to, my product, I wanted to build where like someone that thinks Bitcoin's going to zero or someone that thinks Bitcoin's going to $10 million still uses it because they're getting a free Coke at Wendy's by using it. And like, it doesn't matter what you think about Bitcoin, like at the asset and the price and like the on-chain metrics and shit, shout out, uh, Will the Thrill. It just is about like a superior payments network. And so we let you spend dollars over it. And so, yeah, I think that there's like a real division. Like people are like, uh, dude, like, why are you auto converting to dollars? Like, don't auto convert, make Wendy's hodl. It's like, I can't make Wendy's do shit, bro. In fact, if I didn't do the auto conversion, they wouldn't be able to turn it on because it would botch their accounting, like in all their compliance and like diligence and tax reporting. Like, I'm just like building a product that like fits with what they know. And then like, you don't think I'm orange pilling like Wendy's right now? Like, come on, man. Like everybody knows me. So uh, but like, I can't force, like if I give someone Bitcoin at a Christmas party, like you're going to hold this shit, you're going to like it. And then they're like, yeah, I'm, I love it. And then they get home and they sell it. Or I give someone dollars and I'm like, fuck Bitcoin. This is the future. And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then they go home, they load it on a cash app and they buy Bitcoin. So like, you can't for, you can't like for people are going to be bullish or bearish. The point is like trying to build an experience that appeals to them for a superior payment network. Because by the way, dude, like. Um, the Department of Justice like has problems with banks actively in like the lack of competition in payments. The fact that banks seem to be artificially potentially, I'm not like, you know, I'm not like not, I'm just citing the news, uh, potentially artificially inflating interchange pricing for merchants. Merchants get really upset. Merchants are like, what's a swipe fee? Like, why are, do they keep going up? Like, 
humans doing this can't be inflated. Like, why is that getting more and more expensive? And the Department of Justice, Elizabeth Warren, very upset. They're like, we want more options. We don't want the four, the Amex, the Visa, the MasterCard, the Discover. We want more options. We want entrepreneurs like Jack Dorsey to innovate because free market and competition suppresses pricing and includes more United States citizens. Like if Chase doesn't deem like a certain subsector of the United States of America to be credit worthy enough to check out Chipotle. Maybe some entrepreneur will build a service that does. And we want more inclusion. We want more innovation. We want more, more, more. And so like you embedding this payment network into the world is going to suppress pricing. It's going to make services faster. It's going to include more Americans, more people in the world. And it's going to be inherently more innovative and that's like, that, like, that's amazing. And yeah, to your point, like, it's not about, I think people are going to be using Bitcoin without knowing it, or maybe they really want to know it. So the, the last thing I'll say is like, you walk into Wendy's, like, because they're using Strike and they had to KYB with us and all that stuff. That has nothing to do with you. You want to use like a non so you want to use Moon, you want to use Note Over Tour, you want to use Strike, you want to use Cash App, like you use whatever you want. Dude, that is like an amazing world. Uh, that everyone wants, everybody, even like the chases of the world. I don't think Jamie Dimon would sit across from me and say, I want less inclusion. I want like, I want everyone thing to be so expensive where small business, small to medium sized businesses are put out of business because interchange, like over half, I think over half small to medium sized businesses, their second biggest cost outside of uh, people is uh, processing fees. And that comes before uh, rent for a lot of businesses. Wow. So anyway, I'll stop. No, that's, that's an incredible statistic. I had no idea it was like that large Jack, like this year, I mean, this has been one of those years where it seems like, you know, we're four months and it seems like the like second, third order effects of everything that's going on is going to be playing out for like years and years to come. Um, you know, two of the biggest events that I think kind of like pertain to Bitcoin have been a, the Canadian trucker situation. I don't know about you. I don't like to get into politics too much, but I will say, you know, you have to look at this objectively, no matter like what side of it you're on and say, hey, look, people got their bank accounts frozen. They got locked out of their bank accounts without any due process. The second one has been Russia essentially getting locked out of the financial system. With that being said, you know, do you see these catalysts as I'm, I'm assuming the answer is yes, but do you see these catalysts as, you know, a bullish thing for uh, lightning network adoption? And then like, do you have any, I guess, like firsthand accounts of people who have like adopted, you know, the, the Lightning Network based off of some of these events or have gotten kind of orange pilled, so to speak, from these areas? Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, like uh, the Matt Odell, everything is bullish for Bitcoin. Um, but I think like when you analyze why that's true and what that means is that like the characteristics and properties that bitcoin embodies is like just a net positive for the planet man and like our species whether it's the government's uh inflating the money that they require you to use by law or whether it's the government is seizing assets of truckers or the government is seizing assets of those that they oppose in war or whether it's um you know, NCR can check out Wendy's without calling the acquiring bank and the card networks or whether it's uh, someone gets to check out at their favorite fast food spot in a private manner where they get to live out their privacy aspirations. Like everything's bullish for Bitcoin because when you live in a truly open, fair system, like that's the type of world that we as human beings like embody in my opinion which allows us to innovate compete freely and so like psychoanalyzing these independent events i think when you zoom out far enough you realize bitcoin is a fairly distributed honest true reliable system uh and it allows anyone to do anything uh which is care to their particular interests but dude it's also that people get to like build and innovate things and include people into the financial system that were previously excluded or suppress pricing or build new features crazy experiences and so no it's all it's all good for bitcoin and uh i try not to my, my favorite is when my stepmom's like why'd the price go down why is it going up it's like i don't know uh, someone was willing to sell more than others were willing to buy and that's why it got, went down and others willing to buy more than 
people wanted to sell. That's why I went start up, putting right? that in my newsletter. You know what I mean? It's just like, it is what it is. And everything's good for Bitcoin because it's a truly fair, independent system. And uh, it's just, it's very American. It's very pro-human. Yeah, for sure. What do you think? I mean, dude, we're, we're both relatively young. I mean, I think everyone in this industry is relatively young, but you know, we're, we're on the lower end of the spectrum by talking to all the, I know you talked to a lot of, you know, you know, people who are relatively high up in the, you know, I don't want to say social structure, but in like the financial world, you know, what do you think has been the biggest thing that like holds back the older crowd from a understanding like Bitcoin, maybe as an asset class, but more, more importantly, as, as a payment network. Um, I dude, it's going to sound oversimplified. I think it's just education, to be honest. I think it's education. Um, and the thing I will say uh, that I think people don't necessarily appreciate is uh, doing anything significant and amazing in life just takes time. More time than people on Twitter are usually like willing to account for. So like if Apple were to want to buy a trillion dollars worth of Bitcoin, let's just say, and I'm looking right in my camera, don't you dare the as in the internet take that and run with it. That is, that is a baseless claim by me. It has nothing to do with the actual company, Apple. Don't you fucking dare. But let's just like for hypothetical, um, that's like a multi, multi-year project, Will. <laughs> but that would be an amazing advancement for the world for so many reasons, but it just takes a second. So the fact that Apple, for example, doesn't own a trillion dollars worth of Bitcoin does not mean they don't understand it. <laughs> they could very well be working on it. And the same thing for like uh, the NCR group that I initially, you know, got in contact with, like they understand lightning tremendously well. Like there's a fast food chain that reached out to NCR after, like, by the way, uh, the partners I announced on stage, I have more than like like 200% more that I just couldn't announce yet. But like everyone gets it. Everyone gets it. Like everyone's like, oh my gosh, like what merchant doesn't want cheaper pricing, instant settlement? What like payment processor doesn't want to capture more value for their business? Like everyone gets it. And like just turning things on and like doing it the right way and doing things like with real significance just takes time. So I don't know your question. I think actually that's not true. Like I think part of your question and part of Twitter implies like, oh, because Bezos hasn't bought all this Bitcoin then he doesn't understand it. What's the difficulty in explaining it to him? You should try and explain it that way and the other. I think, no, dude, like logical, smart people with an open mind are not traditionally uh, friction filled with understanding Bitcoin. Like it's an amazing innovation and it's, it's uh, getting easier and easier to explain and relate to. Uh, it just, things just take time. It just really does. And I think people underappreciate when they happen, how fast things go. Because today we can go from like, man, like institution adoption, that was fun. That was like hype marketing train. And then tomorrow Apple adopts it and Amazon adopts it. And we just expedited humanity by like 10 to 20 years. <laughs> like that. So like, I don't know. That's my thoughts. No, that makes sense. I think some of it's just liquidity too, right? Like if Apple steps in the market, they're going to just drive up the price like 30% if they take like 1% of their balance sheet. Um, it's funny you, you said that last part because like internally, not to you know do too much shilling, but like here at Block, we're working on like a research report. And we're looking at like user adoption moving forward. And it's really actually opened my mind because like usually I'm doing a lot of like, you know, we we're talking about this a little before we started recording. It's a lot of like price oriented stuff, right? And it's been really refreshing to do this report and like step out and look at like the bigger picture for, for the first time in a while. And like by doing this report, it's really just made me super bullish on the asset because you realize, you know, we're still so early. Like we haven't even really hit like the chasm of like mainstream adoption for, for the globe yet. And, you know, again, as you just said, you know, when it, when it happens, it's, it's going to happen quickly. So Jack, I, I, I want to like pivot the conversation a little bit to you personally. Uh, I want to first ask you, so like, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of people on this show. One of the, you know, one of the people that stood out, and I'm sure this, this is for anybody who's talked to him is, is Michael Saylor, right? I mean, when you talk to that guy, like his mental intensity is just like off the charts. And, you know, you could tell like every brain cell in his mind is just fully wired in on the conversation and obviously Bitcoin in general. And it's funny, like we talked... I had 27 questions written down. I got to three of them. We talked for two <laughs> hours and, you know, you know, the guy's been doing it for like seven hours already for the day. 
you know, to be honest, and I'm not just saying this, it, you know, when I've talked to you, it's, it's the same way. When I listen to you on, on other podcasts, it's the same way. You're very wired in, locked in on your mission. Uh, and your, 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 your mental intensity is, it's, it's really is inspiring, dude. So how do you stay so locked in and focused, you know, and, and that's both from like a mental and like physical standpoint, how do you maintain that level of intensity every single day? Um, mental and physical. Well, first of all, dude, uh, I really appreciate the words. Um, I, I look up to you. Like I said, um, I look Michael, I can co-sign that. He's a huge inspiration to me. Very proud to call Michael a friend. Um, I don't know, bro. Uh, I'm a deathly competitive dude. Um, and so I really try and optimize my existence. At, I, I think the, the credit goes to Bitcoin, man. Like, honestly, like, cause my answer was going to be is that, um, I try and optimize my existence to being the best possible Bitcoiner I could be because I think Bitcoin allows for uh, like peak humanity. I've said this line a ton of times. I think as a human, you want to be part of something bigger than yourself. You don't want to live. You don't want to be born and then die alone. You want to build relationships. You want to build a family. You want to meet teammates on your intramural basketball team. You want to meet people in near fraternity or whatever. And then you want to work on something that will last longer than you will. Um, and that implies like some eternal existence and being a part of the species um, rather than the present day. And Bitcoin enables that. Bitcoin drives the world forward. Uh, it is the best way to be interconnected with our species and build relationships and then work on something that will last longer than you will. And Bitcoin as a tool, like what else would you rather work on, man? Like when, like when you zoom out, like, you know, I think at your age, probably it's like, well, I'm a business major, so I want to work on business stuff or I'm a, I'm an accountant. I, I'm in marketing. So I want to, and if you zoom out, it's like, no, I'm a human and like, I'm going to die and I want to be a like an, a peak human, an amazing human and work on something that my great, great grandkids will use. And I want to build relationships that are tremendously powerful. And to me, I don't know, you can work at McDonald's, you can work at a hedge fund, working on Bitcoin allows you to build incredibly dense relationships with the world, whether personally, like friends of mine, like Michael Saylor, or just spiritually and people all over the planet that I connect with over this joint mission in Bitcoin. And then it allows you to work on something that's going to last longer than you will. That's like leaving a legacy and eternal greatness and pushing the species forward. Uh, and so my life is entirely optimized around peak performance and contributing to that notion. So uh, yeah, I could like walk through a day in the life, so to speak, but I don't know, man, I think it's a lot easier. Like if I was working at McDonald's, I, I don't know. I'm a deathly competitive dude. So I would try and make sure like every fry was salted and crispy, but, um, it's hard, it's hard for me to be able to say like, no, I would be like, as like dialed in on like McDonald's French fry theory. Right. So <laughs> no, I, no, I think like from first principles, it makes a lot of sense, right? Like a, you want to do something good for humanity. You think of what's the most impactful way I can have a positive impact on humanity. And you feel like for you is that's pushing the growth of Bitcoin. I mean, now that, that makes total sense. Um, I want to ask you like kind of going off of that. What's the most important aspect of Bitcoin to you? I mean, maybe I'm, I'm sure it's hard to like narrow it down to one thing, at least it is for me. So if you want to give a few, you could, go wherever you want with the question um they can't uh can't change it it because that like the fact that you can't change it uh implies you could make it scarce implies the monetary policy could be predictable which implies it very likely is the hardest money we've ever experienced which implies it very likely is the best asset to hold and it will go to the moon and it will appreciate against dollars, against real estate, against equities, right? And then it also implies that you can build amazing payment standards on top of it and it can be inherently global and it can be inclusive to everyone. But it's the, the most powerful concept is that you can't change it. You can't change it. And like digging deeper into that is the Byzantine general's problem, is the use of proof of work to make an advancement in computer science and distributed network technology and cryptocurrency. Or, and I know it wasn't called cryptocurrency back in the day in uh, whatever, eCash. 
Um, but I think that core founding principle is that um, you can't change it. There's no outside influence that could do anything about it, that can inflate it, that could change it to proof of stake, that makes it a property, not a security, um, that makes it this like uh, innovation for our species, almost like from the heavens. And so, yeah, whether you're like someone's favorite part is that it's scarce or someone's favorite part is that it moves really fast or it solves a remittance problem. I think it all stems from this concept that we use proof of work to make a uh, resilient, uh, fair, distributed network that uh, has an asset inside of it and that you can't change it. And uh, yeah, it's that line I had, uh, Bitcoin can change the world uh, only because the world cannot change Bitcoin. Yeah, no, and, that's, uh, that's super powerful. Yeah, that's what I, that's my favorite property. Yeah, I love that. Oh, Jack, before we wrap up, we got on a little serious note. I want to I want to end it a little fun. So so two fun questions. Uh, the first one is, can we get a little follow up maybe of, of the story you told on on Peter's show? You kind of left us with a little bit of a, a cliffhanger. Is there any follow up you want to give up at this time or you, you want to wait on that? No, I've I'm learning a lot just like as a dude, man, I just turned 28 and uh, no. I'm mature. I'm trying to mature a little bit. I won't tell any top secret stories, but no, like I said, um, our partners, even since I got off stage, when did I get off stage? Like less than three weeks ago, uh, have, uh, more than doubled. And, uh, there's a lot happening. Everyone should be really excited. I think this asset is way more mature than people give it credit for. And I think things just take time and people don't necessarily price that in. So um, people should be excited, but I don't have any uh, flirtatious stories for the crowd today. All right. I, I assume you're talking about Bezos. So yeah, yeah, none of of, no, 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 I'm going to let Bezos be today. All right. All right. Figured I'd, I'd shoot my shot on that. Last you. one. Who, who are your three favorite rappers? Or if you want to say just general artists. Oh, uh, Drake is, is the goat for me. Um, futures up there. I don't know. Who are yours? Uh, Drake for me is like the unquestionable goat. My three are, are Kendrick Lamar, J Cole. Cause he's from North Carolina and future. Those are my, my three favorite. Yeah. Uh, Drake, Kendrick, uh, Cole. I mean, future are all good. Like I also, um, I grew up in Chicago. There's like this drill scene. So like the yeah. chief Keef, yeah. I was other oh, world. So like when I was uh, in high school, I was listening to that. So like, it kind of led me into like, I listened to a lot of little baby, like a ton. Right. You like little Dirk too. I mean, cause yeah. he's from Chicago. Yeah. 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 Or like, uh, Polo G in, you like him. Yep. Yep. Yeah, of course. Chicago. Um, so a lot of that, but even when I'm working, sometimes like I listen to, uh, classical music, uh, as well or like even like to build a home i love that song so i don't know but yeah drake for me is like the unquestionable uh greatest to ever do it in my generation at least i think so no I, I agree hey jack it's it's been an absolute pleasure before we wrap up is there anything you you want to leave the audience with anything you want to plug in or just i guess final thoughts and kind of this this time of of uncertainty or people maybe have their, you know, Bitcoin conviction hindered for whatever reason. Is there anything you kind of want to leave the listeners with before we end it? No, nah, nah, man. I mean, I said this yesterday. Uh, I was tweeting out a TV segment. There's just so much noise. And I think the signal is in uh, when now, like, no one knows where to hold and store their money because inflation, you can't hold it in dollars. And that begs the question, like, where can you hold it? And a lot of people on Bitcoin Twitter are like really sophisticated and accustomed to answering that question. But a lot of the world isn't like they're traditionally known that there's like yield on their savings account. And they just, if they want to save, they put in their savings account. If they want to spend, they put in their checking account. And now that concept is not true. And so to the world, if I was talking to the world, where do you hold your money? You want to hold it in the harder asset, the hardest asset you can possibly obtain. Hard is in reference to how hard is it to produce more of it? So how hard is it to produce more dollars? Not very hard. How hard is it to produce luxury real estate? A little harder, but not impossible. How hard is it to produce Apple stock? Like probably harder than dollars, but like not impossible. How hard is it to produce more Bitcoin? It's the only asset in the history of the universe where it is impossible. 
And so you want to hold the hardest thing. And it's actually the most accessible hard asset that you could possibly hold. It's not necessarily easy for anyone to obtain luxury real estate and its hardness. Uh, it is very easy for someone to buy a few sats. Uh, and so I would say you want to save and store your money in the harder assets. And Bitcoin is the hardest factually of all time. And then you want to spend over the best payments network, the one that's cheaper, faster, more inclusive, open, global, doesn't uh, require the concept of debt and credit and a messaging layer with a separate settlement layer that only legacy financial institutions can be involved in. And so the mission is to hold and save in the hardest asset and continue to try and embed the best network into the world to live like a more cheaper, faster, prosperous, inclusive, innovative life. Um, so that's it, man. And I guess also, uh, I just appreciate the community, dude. Like just a kid in his room hacking on stuff and uh, it is not lost on me, the support I get from the world. And I just deeply appreciate it. Like uh, help me like be the man I am today. And I'm very confident will play a huge role in the man I'll be tomorrow. You know what I mean? So whenever I have a chance to talk to the community, I just like want people to know I love being a part of Bitcoin. I'm humbled just to be like around and working on this thing with you guys. So. Absolutely. Jack, thanks so much for the time, man. We'll have to get you on maybe in, you know, towards the, the back half of the year or something. You got but, it, dude. Anytime you want, man. All right. Take it easy, brother. Cheers.